Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wit and Whiskey cast. I'm DJ Gagnon, and I'm, as always, joined by my handsome hellion of a historian co-host, Mark Rossetti. Ooh, I do like the alliteration there. See, you, you, we've taken you to promo school, and you're, you're picking up on it now. That's how you do a proper intro. I do my best, but you know, alliteration is the name of the game when you're talking comic books. It, it is? It is. Peter Explain Parker, how. Sue Storm... Every every Marvel character is alliterative. Well, that's just a Stan Lee thing, though. Yeah, but, I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> Miles Mo- Case closed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're, we're here today. Uh, we're picking back up the, the uh, ever-popular, at least to us, comic thread today. Uh, and we're talking about some of the lesser-known comics today. But before we... We get into that. How's your uh, how's your week been, man? Oh, it's it's been pretty busy, but in, in a good way. Uh, you know, we it, it's looking like knock on wood. Uh, in two weeks, the bars and things are going to finally reopen here in PA. So we went down to St. Conrad's, which is a little private club that I sometimes bartend at when there's not a raging pandemic. Nice. And we started to clean, you know, the bar, disinfect, move the stools six feet apart, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, We're tentatively shooting for a May 1st opening there, because even if the state opens in two weeks, we'd have to, you know, buy beer inventory and things like that. But hopefully it looks like May 1st, the club might be open again, which would be wonderful. Uh, the car club got together for a meeting. That's the one nice thing about being in a car club with a bunch of old fucks. I'm pretty much the only one that isn't vaccinated. Amazing. <laughs> so, you know, being the youngest member by far, uh, that kind of had a nice little thing. And it was cool, you know, it was a nice day here over the weekend, finally. So everybody brought out their cars, you know, looked look like a friggin', you know, hot rod show just out in front of our buddy Danny's house. And then uh, today, I did something pretty old school. Uh, that's why we're recording a little bit later in the day than we normally do. I was at my grandmother's all day today making homemade horseradish. Oh, amazing. Uh, took about eight hours from when I got there and started cleaning it to doing all the hand grinding and the mixing and the canning and whatnot. But it's pretty good. It's pretty potent. Uh, we got 11 mason jars out of the deal, so not complaining about it. I reek right now as I sit here in the 1821 <laughs> studio. I smell like vinegar and horseradish. Uh, so the cigar will be a nice, you know, that'll be a nice cologne to just mix in with everything. Nice. How's Graham doing? She's good. She's good. She had a lot of fun. You know, she was supervising. Because, I mean, I, you know, I could do the grunt work. I know, you know, how to peel. I know how to grind. But, you know, she tells me what's clean, what's not. She went out and picked all the horseradish roots um, I funded the expedition. She went out and said, "No, these are these are shit. These are good." Blah blah blah. So <laughs> nice. Uh, it's been been a fun little fun little day. Whether we she has a bird, so we moved her bird in the other room, so we didn't just melt its poor little face <laughs> off. Uh, and you know, had the wife brought us Burger King for dinner, sat and ate with us, and then was like, "Yeah, y'all smell. I'm leaving." So <laughs> good for Annie. Yeah, but no, it was it was a good day. Uh, what about you? What, what have you been up to? Oh man, it's been uh, a roller coaster uh, over here in the New Hampshire studios. I uh, finally got my hands on a PlayStation Five. Yeah, double fuck you. In case you weren't listening last week, ladies and gentlemen, the fuck you still stands. Uh-huh. Actually, you have two. You've got your hands on two PlayStation Five. Uh, not not anymore. Dave came and picked his up today. So uh, oh, okay, because I was gonna say send all your hate tweets to DJ Bot at Whiskey Yeah, Whiskeycast. yeah it, it was pretty funny because uh, I got my hands on Dave's today and. He, uh, I, I pinged him and I was like, hey, I've got your upgrade. Uh, and he's like, cool. Uh, when do you want to do the, the handoff? And I was like, well, uh, I'll have time Friday to drop it off or, you know, you can drive up and pick it up. And he's like, cool, I'll be there in like two hours. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it was funny when uh, you had messaged a group that you had another one. My first, you know, before we even did anything, my first instinct was, oh, I can't drive up on Monday. I'm making horseradish. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, was yeah. the first thought I had before I had any other thought. I was like, oh, oh well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm still trying to get PS5s for those who still want them because I'm keeping track of the in-stock alerts and whatnot. I, I feel like everyone else is just kind of like, eh, until they're available. But, you know, I've, I've got the bunny energy, so I'll bring it. 
but other than that, it's uh, it's all been like weird work stuff. There was an opportunity, and then there wasn't an opportunity, and now I'm kind of getting hu- headhunted for an opportunity at, at my company, and there's just all there's uh, it's corporate leadership at its best, folks. So um, I, I I might actually have something concrete in the next like two or three weeks to talk about, but it's all been like. Uh, smoke and mirrors for for the last couple of weeks. So, um, would you quantify it as dare I say, hoodoo? Uh, I th- it's just not as interesting. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, but I'm taking tomorrow off because as we record, it's the 29th. So tomorrow's my birthday. And oh uh, yes, I did mean to. I did. I did see that. You know, Facebook knows all, and it was giving me the heads up that it was. I knew it was this week, but I didn't remember it was uh, tomorrow until. This morning, so yes, happy birthday! Thank you, brother. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be good. The big three four, so mm-hmm. I'll be. Um, I, I took the day off. I'm uh, I'm going off on an adventure. I've got a. Uh, it doesn't sound very fun, but I've got an appointment at the DMV to get my gender marker changed to other because New Hampshire does that. So, uh, that that'll be kind of exciting. That is pretty cool. And hey, you got to look at it the way I looked at it last year when I turned thirty four. Uh, I, you know, I'm not that big in birthdays. So the wife said to me, oh, you know, how you feel? And I said, well, I mean, you're older than Christ. <laughs> and she said, yeah. And I said, well, let's be honest. There were a few times there I thought I was going to get crucified too. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I haven't been the most popular guy my whole life. So <laughs> any anytime you can make it to 34, you just got to take stock for a minute or two. It's true. Yeah. So it's I mean, it's not super exciting. I mean, it's true what they say, you know, after you hit like 25, you don't really, you know, care about the number as much. But um, I I think based on the vaccination schedule in New Hampshire, Holly and I get to sign up on Wednesday. So there's a pretty damn good chance at this point that her birthday in July will be able to do something. Yeah, I don't know. The The rumor going around over the weekend was supposedly the first Pennsylvania is going to open it up to anybody uh, old enough to drive. So anyone 16 or older, you can get a yeah. learner's permit 16. I have not seen any actual official confirmation of that. So I don't know if that's true or not with how, uh, quite frankly, with how Pennsylvania's bungled the vaccination rollout and how far behind they are with our veterans and our elderly. I can't imagine that's going to be the case. I hope it's not the case, at least not yet. Uh, Cause they, there's a lot of people, higher risk people that need them that haven't gotten them yet, but we'll see. That's the rumor going around. Yeah. I, I mean, I still don't really anticipate much going back to normal until the fall at this point. There's a, small chance that Gen Con is still happening. They pushed it to September. Well, did you see the news today? They did finally officially cancel PAX East. Yeah, I figured as much. They canceled Anime Boston like six months ago, it feels like. Well, they kept pushing it back and pushing it back, and they're like, no, we're going to have it, we're going to have it, and everyone's like, no, you're, you're not. And then finally this morning, they finally officially announced, yeah, we're not having it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to feel so weird going back to conventions. I, I wonder... I wonder if, like, even this time next year, they'll like they'll be able to get, like, even half their attendance. I, I I'm just kind of curious to see how quickly the community gets back to normal. It's gonna be so weird just going to a bar. It's I'm I'm having a socially distanced lunch with um with a friend tomorrow, for my birthday, and it's the first time I'll be in a restaurant since like October. It's gonna feel really strange. Yeah, it's it's going to be an adjustment period, you know, which was weird because of how much of an adjustment it was, you know, a year and a half ago. And now it doesn't see it seems like it's far longer ago than it was. I mean, it's looking like if, if the club opens in May, it looks like it'll have been closed about 15 months. And if you had told me when it originally closed, it wouldn't reopen till 15 months. I would have laughed in your face. <laughs> and now you know, I'm like, wow, we're reopening already. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know. It's just, it's fucked up. So uh, I have two questions for you. Okay. One is, uh, when do I get to become a member of St. Conrad's? Oh, 
if shit, if I had thought about it, I would have grabbed you. I had the forms in my hand on Saturday when I was cleaning the bar. If I thought about it, I would have grabbed you one on Saturday. Next time I go down the bar, for whatever reason, I'll grab you one. Nice. And the uh, second question is, when are you turning back on the jukebox? <laughs> that I actually don't know. That I don't, I don't have the master controls yet uh, for that. Well, I have the remote control, but I don't, I think it's hooked up to a, Sucked up to the internet somehow, and I, I that I that one I don't know. But hopefully, when we reopen, I would assume. Oh, I can't wait. Because uh, I, I think I looked and I could access the area around your jukebox, and I was like, oh, maybe I can set the jukebox. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's possible, and I, I assume they're going to turn it back on when we reopen because we were ha- one of the jobs we had on Saturday was we were hanging up the new addendum to the club rules, basically all the new COVID nineteen stuff that we added to the club rule book that never existed before. And uh, one of them was for the next indefinite period of time, you're not allowed to actually touch the jukebox. You have to use the app. Nice. But the fact that they put that in there leads me to believe they're going to turn it back on. So that's amazing. So I don't know. All right, buddy, what are you drinking? Well, I had texted you this a couple of days ago when the old man was here for uh, the last episode. He was upstairs and, you know, we we had joked about having liquor in the house, not having liquor in the house. How much do you have? Blah, blah, blah. And he went upstairs and was looking at everything and was like, Jesus Christ, how much do you actually have here? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> so I said, you know, maybe if I get bored. I'll actually sit down and do an inventory. I'll do a spreadsheet just of the brown liquors. (laughs) And wouldn't you know who won the pony? The Bristol Dirt Race got canceled on Sunday, so I had a three-hour window open up. So I started doing uh, an inventory. And uh, if you count nips, which I'm counting, because you can get a drink out of a nip, I have 28 different whiskeys. Wow. And for the purposes of this argument, a whiskey is either whiskey, bourbon, rye, Irish whiskey, scotch, that stuff. Uh, So, and in doing this inventory, I realized that I had never actually reviewed my nine-year Knob Creek that I have. And so this was good because, number one, I realized I never reviewed it. But number two... I'm able to, I think, I have to go up and double-check the decanter now, because this is one of the ones in the, in the decanter. But I think now I have enough that I it got it low enough now that I could start the infinity bottle. Nice. Because that is the only problem, and I use problem in quotation marks, with having 28 whiskeys is none of them are empty. <laughs> <laughs> I have the same problem with hot sauce. I put hot sauce on everything. I like to buy different hot sauces, try different hot sauces. I haven't done an inventory of that yet, but I have at least two dozen hot sauces in my fridge, none of which are empty. Oh, man. Hot sauce. So this is a good, you know, this is a good start. Hopefully we can start the Infinity Bottle this week. But as I said, I am drinking the nine-year-old Knob Creek Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, as they like to call it. It's small batch. It's hundred proof. It has all your hipster credentials, which is fitting considering it's indie comic week. <laughs> uh, so you know, and again, Knob Creek is the higher brand of Jim Beam. Ooh. So basically, if Jim Beam is your Honda, Knob Creek is your Acura. Just to put everything into perspective here. Nice. Uh, and it is named for the geographic location where Abraham Lincoln was born. He was born in Knob Creek, Kentucky. That's where the log cabin was, and actually wasn't in Illinois. So don't believe everything they teach in history class, kids. <laughs> but it's really good because it actually is kind of spicy. You know, when you smell it, you're like, oh, okay, you know, it's your usual Kentucky bourbon. It's sort of on the mellow side, maybe a little sweet, maybe a little molasses. And then you sip it, and you're like, ooh, okay, well, there's there's some oak there. You know, there's some smoke, which we talked about a couple episodes ago. And then it gets really peppery, and the pepper lingers. Nice. Uh, and then you get a hint of another spice that I can't quite put my finger on. 
And then it mellows out again with the dark chocolatey taste, like we talked about with the Jane Walker, but it gives you more of the bitter. So it's like, you know, eh, okay, this is nice, spicy, spicy. Ooh, a little bit bitter. And you get that nice little dry burn right in your throat, uh, which being 50% alcohol, that also helps too. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little pricey. It's somewhere around $45 a bottle here in Pennsylvania, but it's really good. And if you didn't know it was made by Jim Beam, you never would have believed it because <laughs> they're two totally different palettes. Nice. What about you? What are you sipping for, for this week? What are you, well, what's your birthday libation this week? <laughs> uh, so my birthday libation is actually a birthday, birthday libation. Um, my sister uh, came back home to visit the rents, and uh, she had been able to acquire for me a bottle of Rothman and Winter's Creme de Violette for my birthday because she lives That's in That's a pretty York. good sister. Yeah, uh, so shout out, Katie. I absolutely adore you. I'm, I'm, I was so happy to socially distance see you. Um, and, thank and hey, you. Katie, I never met you, but, you know, my birthday's in November. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Creme de Violette uh, is a really kind of rare liqueur. Like, I, I can't get it in New Hampshire. I'm fairly certain you can't get it in PA. No, well, not in the stores anyway. As we've discovered with the whole uh, Jane Walker thing, we may actually be able to get it online if we can put up with FedEx, but definitely not on the shelf. Yeah, yeah, Caskers doesn't have it. Um, okay, well, there you go. Some, they have some imitation stuff, but Creme de Violette is a French violet liqueur. It's very floral. Um, if you've ever, do you remember like Choward's Violet Mints? <laughs> yes, I do, actually. Yeah. Uh, so it, it basically has, I mean, it's, it's violet, right? It's not quite as sweet, but it definitely has that, that flavor profile. So what I am drinking tonight is, uh, an aviation cocktail. Uh, so I, I've gone off script. I'm not doing whiskey today. Uh, but for my, my birthday cocktail, I can get away with it. And I went as small batch hipster as I possibly could with everything that I have in my collection. So I did... Um, Hendrix Midsummer Night Limited Release Gin. Uh, I did Creme de Violette, uh, specifically Rothman and Winter. Uh, I did uh, Luxardo Maraschino Liqueur, and then uh, lemon juice, and I flamed the lemon peel because it's my new favorite thing to do. Uh, and it's really good. I'm still working on kind of balancing out the, the acid and the sweetness. I, I think I... Next time I make this cocktail, I'll ramp up the, the uh, cherry liqueur a little bit. Uh, but it's it's great. I mean, I I feel like I have a weird palate when it comes to cocktails, and I tend to like things that nobody else seems to like. And so I really like the floral stuff. Um, and I think that's probably fair, because the aviation was created in 1916, so it's over 100 years old. Uh, and the, the creme de violette is such a hard ingredient to get a hold of that honestly, most bars just leave it out when they, when they create an aviation, which is kind of crazy because an aviation is meant to be kind of this cloudy, purpley blue color. That's meant to be like a, a it's called the aviation cause it's meant to look like a, like the sky. I don't, I don't see it because it's purple and not like. A bright day glow blue but you know maybe it's a stormy sky who knows i, I don't judge well, i mean it, it's the sky at sunset I yeah mean, yeah yeah. No, when did you say it was invented 1913 1916 okay well the wright brothers flight was in 1903 so it only took us 13 years after we invented airplane travel to go you know what this needs booze <laughs> yeah uh and it's great um it the aviation has a pretty cool history uh it's not super long because again Creme de Violette is hard to get your, your hands on when you're not in a state with a liquor monopoly. Um, my sister was only able to find it in one store in New York City, so uh, that should tell you how hard this ingredient is to find. I'll be rationing it. Uh, and it, uh, it was added to uh, the Savoy Cocktail Book in 1930, which, of course, omitted the Creme de Violette. Um, but it first appeared in the 1916 Recipes for Mixed Drinks, uh, and it had the 
uh, the creme de violette in it. So if you want to make it, the official uh, IBA ratios are uh, 45 mil of gin, 15 mil of lemon juice, 15 mil of maraschino liqueur, and a bar spoon of creme de violette garnished with a cherry. Uh, and it is strangely a shaken cocktail. I really thought it was going to be stirred, but... <laughs> and we all know how you feel about shaken versus stirred. Yeah. Stir things. <laughs> my, I, you I'm know, just, I, I'm satisfied with my, my lot in life of being a uh, an unironic hipster about my cocktails. <laughs> I just legitimately enjoyed when we went off the air the other episode with the old man. He's like, "That that was some uh, pretty good stuff you guys had going on between with the shaking and the stirred." He's like, "You know, how long did it take you to write that bit?" And I said, "What the hell are you talking about?" <laughs> and he's like, "Well, you guys were arguing." I'm like, "Yeah, no, we legitimately disagree on that. What the hell?" <laughs> and he's like, "Oh." Okay, you guys take your drinks way too seriously. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Wit and Whiskey cast. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, if you can get your hands on Creme de Violette, um, definitely check it out. For those of us up here in the New England studios, there is a, uh, a gin cocktail bar and restaurant in downtown Portsmouth uh, called... Uh, Botanica, and they serve uh, a really mean aviation. So uh, if you can't get your hands on Creme de Violette and you are in the area, uh, you can check it out at Botanica. So definitely recommend it, uh, especially if you uh, like eating flowers. <laughs> For all of our fae listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm weird. I, I like floral things and... <sighs> It's okay. I own it. It's wonderful. But Mark, we should probably get into our indie comics topic or we're going to be well, here all night. No, no, wait, wait. See, you had the perfect segue there, you know, because you said you like floral things and you also like Japanese whiskey. That is true. I forgot you have some really cool whiskey news this week. Yes. And so we'll just be very brief because, as you say, we are running long, um, but we're becoming more than whiskey adjacent little by little. <laughs> so, uh, you know. Japanese whiskey is pretty trendy. Uh, you've mm-hmm. reviewed at least one, I think two so far already. I think, I, I think yeah, I at least did Suntory. Yes. Uh, there, you know, it's, I've noticed just going to the state-run liquor stores here, it's getting more and more shelf space. Uh, also, last year there was all the headlines, right about when we started this podcast, interestingly enough, it was the end of August of last year. Uh, there was a bottle of Yamazaki that sold for $800,000 at an auction. Jesus. And basically, you know, if you go to more of the trendy bars, especially, you know, your sister could probably tell you in New York City, there's more and more Japanese whiskey uh, around. There's only one problem with all that, though. Oh? The vast majority of it isn't actually made in Japan. Um, What? Yes, so I found this article, uh, it's on Vice, so, I mean, don't be too judgmental about that, but it's uh, part article, part press release, and as of right now, only about 7% of all of the world's quote-unquote Japanese whiskey is actually made in Japan. Huh. So, uh, understandably, the, the Japanese are... Not happy about that, as they should be. Because, I mean, what's the one rule for scotch? It has got to have... Yeah. yeah, It's got to have bog water. Yeah. Um, Because what was the one you actually reviewed? I think it was in season one that they called it an American. Yeah. Because even though it was a scotch, you know, they couldn't call it that. Yeah, I I don't remember which one it was. We've reviewed some fucking whiskeys, buddy. (laughs) We really have. So uh, there's actually a uh, Spirit and Liquor Makers Association of Japan which is a non-governmental trade organization uh, in the country, and they have announced, this is three days old now as we record this, they have announced that starting on April 1st, a Japanese whiskey must now be fermented, distilled, and aged for at least three years in a distillery in Japan. Interesting. I mean, 
what we learned when we were looking at it last year is that they were importing the water from Scotland. So I have to yes. imagine importing water is not cheap. So, I, I mean, it makes sense if, like, I would try to, <laughs> I would try the same thing, right? Right. Well, they, they've also now changed the rule that you, the water you use to make the spirit must also be extracted from a spring within one of the islands of Japan. Okay, so no more Japanese scotch, it sounds like. No more Japanese scotch now. They want to get into the game. And basically, reading the rest of this press release, which I won't go into because it's very long, um, they want to go after Scotland. Now, the interesting thing is, since the uh, trade board is not a governmental group, it technically falls under self-regulation, and they're not actually legally binding So distilleries don't actually have to do this. Uh, And they're also giving them three years. March 31st, 2024 is when they expect slash hope all of the Japanese distilleries to get on board. But the, the one line that I'll just read and then we can move on is, once consumers understand the difference between actual Japanese whiskey and those sold under the guise of Japanese whiskey, which they have in quotation marks, it will transform the entire world whiskey industry. Huh. So Japan is throwing down the gauntlet, and I, for one, am all for it. You know what? Fuck yeah. Come at it, Japan. That's amazing. Competition in everything is better. I mean, I'm just looking at this just from a racing background. Competition, research and development, it's always better. Hell yeah. So the more people we have, the better. Uh, you know, we, we'll start to see changes over the course of the years, but by 2024, uh, they're gonna, it's going to be a whole new ball game over in the islands. And, hey, maybe by 2024 we could actually go to the islands. Ah, maybe, cool. maybe the world will actually be somewhat sane by then. So, all right, lead us off. You're the hipster of the group. Lead us off with some indie comics here. Oh, man, I'm really excited. So I went through my uh, substantial comic collection, and uh, I've been I've been more focusing on collecting trades recently than actual books just because I, I, I never sit down to read a stack of comic books. I'd rather just read, you know, trade paperbacks or trade hardcovers. And I... I had a hard time picking out some stuff. I, I kind of limited myself to two or three in each category just because I didn't... I, I don't think we need another hour and a half episode. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, I thought of a lot of different things. Like, you know, Sandman was technically indie when it was first released, and even though now it's huge. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of looking at Miller World, you know, Kick-Ass and, and Wanted and some of those, but that's gotten pretty big, and I... I, I finally kind of just settled on some series. And I didn't really... I, I'm not looking at publishing dates. I'm just kind of looking at, you know, some of the more underground comics that not a lot of people I know are talking about. And the first series is not necessarily a series. It's a, it's a writer. Uh, Brian Lee O'Malley. Writer and artist. Uh, and... Mark will know this when I name his major series, which is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Which I did not pick. That's one of the few truly indie comics I have upstairs, but I didn't pick it for my list because I knew you were going to. Yeah, uh, Scott Pilgrim is my spirit animal. I It's one of my favorite movies. The, the comic series was adapted by Edgar Wright into just a fantastic movie. It um, is really good. It's so good. Uh, they're actually doing like a theater release of a remastered version of it this year, and it's like the first movie I want to see in theaters uh, when things open up again. Uh, but Brian Lee O'Malley has a very specific kind of minimalist, I, I would almost label it like American chibi art style. Um, you know, the, the characters are very cartoony, but the stories are fantastic. Uh so his, he's got basically eight books total. Uh, so the first thing he ever wrote was Lost at Sea, and it's a, a, the story of a, a girl on a road trip. It's really cute and wonderful. Uh, you know, and then he has the Scott Pilgrim books, which are uh, it's six graphic novels, and they each have a different title. And I think like the third or fourth one is actually Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I think the first one is 
Scott Pilgrim's Pathetic Little Life or something like that. Um, yeah, highly recommend Scott Pilgrim. If, if you're looking to get into indie, indie comics, that's a great inroad. And then he wrote another one called Seconds about uh, a young woman who, was, who ran a restaurant, and I think the restaurant ended up being haunted or something. It's, it's just he's got a great art style, and he's got a, a flair for uh, telling compelling stories and over-the-top uh, you know, imagery, and uh, it's great. So Scott Pilgrim's great. Check it out. All of his stuff is fantastic. Uh, the second series I wanted to bring to the table was Lumberjanes. And Lumberjanes uh, is... It, it's kind of in the tradition of some of the more modern uh, takes on, like, Western cartoons. You know, things like Steven Universe or uh, Adventure Time, um, you know, She-Ra... Voltron, some of those, where, they, where they're dealing with uh, a little bit more representation and they're telling stories that weren't told before. And uh, Lumberjanes is all about a summer camp for, for girls. So it's like, it's kind of flipping that traditional like Boy Scout story on its head. And it's all about the power of friendship and the girls supporting each other. And uh, it's all about girl power in a really fantastic way. Uh, so Lumberjanes is great. Uh, and the last series I want to bring to the table is, I, I think it's put out by, I think it's put out by Image. Yeah, it's put out by Image. Uh, and it's called Wayward. Have you ever heard of Wayward? Yeah, v- vaguely. I mean, it's it's popped up now and again. I'm not super familiar with it, but I, it's a name I recognize. Yeah, it, it's really great. It's got an amazing art style. And uh, Wayward has... It, it's been termed like a modern-day Buffy the Vampire Slayer if Buffy the Vampire Slayer were an anime. Okay. So it's like it crosses some Irish uh, references with like being set in Tokyo, and there's a lot of... Uh, myth and mysticism and supernatural stuff going on and it's a bunch of kids in a high school uh, you know, fighting the good fight uh, and there's some Monster of the Week stuff going on in there and it goes in a really interesting direction. So, uh, Scott Pilgrim, Lumberjanes, Wayward. Those are the, the three series I pulled. I have a lot more to share, but do you want to get into something that you researched? Yes, well, you know, I too, over the course of the last week, went through my collection upstairs and I realized that I am what I yell at my wife for being when we go to the grocery store. My wife, I love her to death, but when we go to the grocery store, she's a name brand bitch. (laughs) Uh, She, you know, she has to drink regular Coca-Cola. She has to have Heinz ketchup. She has to have this, you know, God forbid I buy something that's on sale. She won't eat it. When it comes to comics, I'm a name brand bitch. (laughs) I'm not a hipster. I am not... Uh, you know, hell, it's pretty much only one name brand. I don't even have that many Marvel. It's pretty much 90% DC upstairs. So I started looking through what I had that would qualify as indie. I have Scott Pilgrim. We already talked about that. I have Sandman. I have the offshoots, you know, Hellblazer, Constantine, Lucifer. They're all technically DC now, and they're all pretty mainstream. Yeah. None of them are, you know, really indie anymore. So... I realized what I had are technically indie under the guise of they're not Marvel or DC, but they're still under the label of two of the four biggest comic book publishers on the face of the earth. So the bulk of the quote-unquote indie comics I have are from Dark Horse. And I started reading them as a kid mostly because they were more violent, they were more graphic. Um, A lot of the Dark Horse stuff did not fall under the purview of the Comics Code Authority, which, of course, is now dead. But in the 80s and 90s, when I was growing up, that was still a thing. DC and Marvel were still under it. Dark Horse was not. Yeah. And it has quite a few things uh, that are pretty mainstream now, licenses, but they were pretty underground comics at the time. Sin City's the big one, you know, Frank Miller... Uh, 300, and then all the different uh, graphic novels under 300. That's another pretty big one. 
had barbed wire, had Tank Girl, mm. had the entire Time Cop series. Love me some Tank Girl. It's a great series. Yeah. Uh, Hellboy, all the Hellboys were actually Dark Horse at first. So, you know, you have that. Uh, then they have some uh, third-party mainstream licenses, The Mask. All the Mask uh, ones were, were there. G-Men from Hell, uh, which I'm pretty sure was another movie that they made. The Avatar, the last Airbender comics. Oh, those are graphic novels. good. Right. Th- that's the best way to sum up Dark Horse in general. This is weirdly good. <laughs> Didn't Dark Horse also... Did they do Spawn? They did at first, and I believe that's Marvel now. Okay. I believe that got taken over. Uh, they did the Umbrella Academy, though, which oh, is now yeah, a, yeah. A, a popular show. Yeah, and the graphic novels are amazing for Umbrella Academy, if you, if you guys yes. haven't read them. Uh, Umbrella Academy's great. Uh, uh, Hellboy is great. Uh, we already talked about Tank Girl. Um, you know, and if you haven't read Sin City, I remember the old man sitting there going, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> and then when the movie came out, he's like, we got to go see that. I'm like, all right, Pops, all right. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's what I have. It's more of a brand than anything else because I don't read a lot of just indie stuff. But Dark Horse is pretty cool. And it's as old as us, DJ. 1986 it started. Nice. So, you know, it, it, we've grown up with it. And, uh, you know, I, I, they're still hanging on. They are currently... Are they four or five? Hang on, I have to find my notes here. Uh, they're currently number five in comic sales, so they're they're still hanging on. Nice, I love it. And they're actually under Penguin Random House, so they have a good company backing them now. They have wide distribution now. They they do, and it, it seems like Dark Horse has some staying power, whereas DC's in a little bit trouble right now. Hey, don't rub it in. <laughs> Why you gotta be like that, uh, dude? I I I mean, I'm right there with you. They canceled Super Sons. I know, I know. Hey, we always have eBay. We do. My newest, I got the notification today, my newest one's waiting on my desk at the office for me. It came in the mail today, so. Nice. So All right, what's your number two? All right, I I didn't want to just go through and do, like, IDW, Image, you know, Dark Horse, because there are some really great indie uh, companies out there doing some great stuff, um... The, the I can't remember the company name right now, but they do like Exo Man of War and Bloodshot. That whole universe is really good too. So if you ever, if you want like superhero comics, they're a little bit grittier. Definitely look into to some of those. Uh, but I also want to talk about web comics because I feel like when I was in high school, web comics were kind of like, eh, whatever. And they've gotten like a lot more serious. A lot of the web comics I like to read are publishing their stuff in, in collections and uh you know we we've seen real i mean penny arcade has their its own convention so uh depending on which one four you, of them actually yeah uh so depending on which one you choose it may or may not quite be indie anymore and again indie is kind of a it's a little bit subjective right you know some of these are still I mean, Lumberjanes has a big studio behind it, too. It's just, you know, it's a little little bit lesser known than some of the others. So when I talk about webcomics, there's a few I've been following for years and years and years that I, I like, I have fond memories of, and I, they've got pretty big followings, but, you know, they're nowhere near, like, you know, Marvel DC following, right? So the first one I have is Questionable Content. Have you ever read Questionable Content? I have. It's uh, it's one of my personal favorites. I've been following it for like fifteen years at this point, point. Uh, and it's great. It's this. It imagines like our world, except there's a couple of key differences. Um, that uh, the first one is that uh, AI is a real thing, and there are just robots walking around living their lives alongside humans. And the other is that uh, there's the world seems to be a little bit more comfortable with representation, you know, race and gender and, and sexual identity and all of that good stuff. Uh, and it's told, it's the story of this hipster town uh, with a bunch of friends and a hipster coffee shop. And, you know, it, it's just slice of life stuff. It's funny and it's endearing. And there's, you know, a new relationship uh, about, two or three times a year, which is always fun. Uh, so questionable t- content is great. And they 
I think they just finished a Kickstarter to launch their, like, I think it was the fifth or sixth volume of, like, physical uh, comic books. So that's pretty cool. Uh, the second one I have is uh, XKCD. And I honestly don't know if people read this when they're outside of computer science. Do you read XKCD? No, but I'm familiar with it because it's often used as a meme template. It is, yeah. I've seen quite a few uh, strips with the actual text ripped out and then an out-of-context meme put into it. Yeah. Uh, XKCD is great. Uh, the guy who runs XKCD is Randall Monroe, and he's he's fairly local to our New England studio here. I, I think he's down in Mass. Um, but he's like a hardcore computer scientist and mathematician, and so he like weaves humor with science in really great ways and uh, has done some pretty incredible computer science projects. He, he's published a few books through uh, the XKCD umbrella, so... Uh, if you ever get a chance, check out XKCD. He named the comic in such a way that you can't pronounce it as a word. My hero. Yeah, it's amazing. Because as we all know, that's one of my pet peeves. Yeah. And then uh, one of my personal favorites, and I, I always put it on like recommended indie webcomic lists, is called Tripping Over You. Uh, and it it's the, the reason I always include it, other than the fact that it's super good, is that it's uh, it's one of the few web comics I discovered at a convention in like Artists Alley, and uh, it, it's about uh, these two characters, uh, Liam and Milo, who meet in the beginning and fall in love, and it's about their super interesting relationship and all of their friends and and having to come out to family and things like that. So. Uh, if you're LGBTQ+, and, and you're looking for uh, a webcomic that really well captures it, check it out. Um, the author and artist are uh, a couple, and they're uh, in very deep into the community. They're fantastic. So, um, questionable content, XKCD, tripping over you. There's a ton of them out there. Um, I, I really had to pare my list down because I casually follow about 15 webcomics on the side. Uh, so I only picked ones that I actually have the physical books for. My problem with webcomics is much like my problem with television shows. All the ones I like get canceled. Yeah, I have that problem too. <laughs> uh, I was big into boxer hockey, which was hysterical that, you know, got dropped. Uh, I was I really enjoyed one of the Penny Arcade spin-offs that was called The Trenches. Yeah. Which was all, which was basically all about working in QA at a uh, video game company that got canceled. You yeah. know, so it's like, oh, and anytime I get invested into one, it doesn't last. Yeah, uh, I, there are two web comics that are near and dear to my heart, and they got canceled right before some pivotal moments. There's actually three of them now that I think about it. Uh, the first one was Mystic Revolution, which was like a an MMO isekai kind of one, and she canceled it right before the final battle. Uh, and then Finders Keepers uh, was really good. And it was all about like myth and mysticism and urban fantasy. And the last one uh, was called Toilet Genie. Of course it was. And Toilet Genie's amazing. Uh, I get to see Kari whenever I go to Anime Boston. And uh, I, I, I always feel bad asking her if Toilet Genie is coming back, so I stopped asking years ago. Well, that's actually, we're talking about, you know, getting cancelled and everything, so that's a great segue into my second one. Because uh, my second one is IDW. Yeah. is amazing. Uh, you know, they, they stand for uh, idea and design works, and IDW is known for two things. One, for being a, you know, officially, by the technical definition, being an indie comic book company, but having basically every major licensed comic property that there is. Uh, you know, for example, they have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is probably the ultimate true indie comic. It, it is. It's, it's mainstream now, but, you know, it's, it was probably the ultimate true indie comic. 
but I mean, they have oodles and oodles and oodles of licenses. CSI, The X Files, Transformers, Ghostbusters, True Blood, uh, My Little Pony, the <laughs> D and D comics. Um, God, I'm just looking through some of the other ones here. I mean, basically anything you could think of, they they have made a uh, you know third party licensed comic off of. They're also really, really, really known for. Uh, canceling them and doing a whole shitload of spinoffs. Yeah, uh, they have the CSI license, which I don't. I don't watch the show. I know there's a couple different versions of the show, but the comic, for example, has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's eleven different CSI comic series listed on the IDW website, <laughs> and none of them have more than like fifteen issues. Oh yeah, of course. It's, you know, so you have that. Uh, they do have some pretty interesting uh, actual true indies under them, too. They're not just all licensed. They had Pax Romana, which, of course, I was into for a while. They have one that's still ongoing just called Kill Shakespeare. Yeah. Which is pretty funny. Um, they also are the home to sex criminals. Yeah, I've seen that. I've heard nothing but good things about, but... I'm a guy that likes to bring comic books with me places and read them. I don't think I could get away with it just by going by some of the co- the cover art that I've seen from them. Yeah, fair. Uh, so they're this weird just balance of, you know, it's kind of like the symphony orchestra. You know, we, we have uh, an NEPA sin, uh, symphony orchestra, and they'll do, they put out their calendar, they'll do maybe, you know, 12 concerts a year, one a month, say. And seven or eight of them every year are Pops concerts. And only maybe five of them are, uh, you know, actual symphony orchestras because the Pops concerts are what make money. So IDW has all of these big, you know, third-party licenses that people buy, then they cancel, then they reboot, then they buy, then they cancel, then they reboot. And that funds all of their indie art. Uh, And it's pretty cool. I mean, it was originally founded by five guys, four of which I believe are still active with the company and they're east coast based they're out of new york so they're they're relatively close to me and they do a lot of stuff on this side i mean you know everybody everybody talks about you know san diego comic-con and all the big ones these guys go to like new york city comic-con they go to the philly conventions so Mm -hmm. it's it's nice to have something on our coast that's awesome yeah i it's i mean tmnt is always near and dear to my heart because it was created in my hometown so uh I, i definitely stand idw for that and I mean, their uh, their Ghostbusters comic books are pretty good too. I, I've read a crapload of them across various series because uh, the one lady I work with, Amanda, is just a Ghostbusters freak. So she buys pretty much anything that comes out, and then I get to read them. So so good. Uh, I can't complain. Amazing. So the next category I came up with is I went even deeper underground. I went deeper than web comics, and I went into webtoons. Uh, have you ever done any webtoons? I don't even know what the hell that is. What's oh. the difference between a webcomic and a webtoon? I'll be the audience surrogate this week. What's the difference? Uh, so webtoons, I feel like, is what webcomics was like 15 years ago, whereas like not a lot of people were reading uh, the same webcomic, and there was just a lot of them. So you might find like one friend who was reading questionable content, and you'd hang out and talk about it. Uh, so Webtoons is, it, it's an app, it's a website, um, and it's, remember how like fan fiction all used to be on the same website, and there was just dozens and dozens and dozens of them? I mean, that's what my other co-worker Allie tells me, she's big into slash fiction, I, I don't, I haven't read very much, I haven't gone down that, that dark corner yet, but I'm told that there are just databases brimming of the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I haven't either. So Webtoons, uh, I, I honestly don't know if it's largely a Western um, community where they're, they're making... It, it's kind of like an indie space for creating comics and manga that isn't you know, being published generally. And uh, they're all really high quality, at least the ones I've read, and there's a lot of them out there. Um, and honestly, it seems like the next natural evolution for those of us who are manga fans. You know, 
back 10 years ago, we were all reading manga readers for, for scanlations from Japan. Uh, and now, you know, it seems like the same community looking for free stuff is, is kind of reading webtoons. So I picked out three that I've read. Uh, and the first is Lore Olympus. Uh, and Lore Olympus is probably the most popular webtoon that I, I know of. Uh, I think it's be it's being published, and it's also going to be turned into an animated show on like Hulu or Amazon. Uh, and Lore Olympus is it's kind of a modern take on uh, Greco Roman myth, so uh, it's got a lot of like Hades and Persephone, and the Greek gods are all in there, and. Uh, they're all, you know, really interesting reinterpretations of themselves. It very much feels like an early 2000s, late 90s, like, manga series. Uh, so Lore Olympus is great. Uh, the second one, uh, that I pulled, which is actually my personal favorite, is called Hardcore Leveling Warrior. Oh, geez, I wonder why you like that. Uh-huh, yeah, so Mark knows that I am just a, a complete horror for uh the isekai genre of anime um and hardcore leveling warrior the concept it's an mmo but they're not trapped in an mmo it kind of goes between the real world and and the game and there's uh, a guy who owes a bunch of money to a loan shark and uh when the loan shark catches up with them they knock his account back down to level one and he has to start working up but he has an encyclopedic knowledge of this game and he's also kind of a dick. (laughs) So he just goes through and like just starts leveling insanely and he knows all the quests to get cool items and he parties up with people and begrudgingly like forms relationships and it's, it's wonderful. Uh, and then the last one, uh, I, I like reading. It's just a feel good one. It's called castle swimmer. It's super gay. It's about, uh, what if there was an entire underground, uh, underwater kingdom full of mer people, and the mer people were different based on whatever sh- fish they were? So, like, there are different sharks and, and octopus, and uh, it's 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 fun, and there's it's all about like fate and free will, and it gets weirdly deep. So, uh, if you want to check it out, Webtoons is a pretty awesome app. Uh, it's great for for some free entertainment and uh it's it's all really high quality well i can't argue with that i i have one more to throw into the kitty (laughs) and you know years and years and years ago when the original xbox came out i remember there was a t-shirt at walmart It, it had two columns on it and it said the only reason to buy an xbox and or no, the only reason, the number one reason not to buy an Xbox, I screwed that up. The number one reason to not buy an Xbox, and it said the only good game is Halo. Yeah. Then on the other column, the number one reason to buy an Xbox, the only good game is Halo. <laughs> so with that same thought, I present as my last one, uh, Image Comics. Yes. And Image Comics has, you know, a long and contested history, and they have a whole lot of different things under their publication. And I think they're, as a corporation, they're partly broke up now. They split off, and part of it's Devil's Due Publishing now and whatnot. Uh, but the, only, the number one reason to not read anything by Image is their only good series was Hack Slash. But the number one reason to read Image Comics, their only good series was Hack Slash. <laughs> um, you know, it has everything you want. It's the ultimate rated M for manly comic. You know, scantily clad goth girls, just violence, buckets worst. of blood. You know, just anything you want. They crossed over with Vampirella for a while. They did a crossover series. Um, and it's actually a relatively uh, long runner. There's uh, well over 100 issues in the, the first series. And I know it got rebooted a few times, plus the crossovers or whatever. Um, I think they actually, I'm not 100%, but I believe they did a crossover uh, with Ash and the Army of Darkness in that whole universe as well. Huh. So, uh, you know, if you could find any of the Hack Slash, especially the, the, the first two volumes, which were, you know, First Cut and Death by Sequel, which is just a great name for the second volume. It's pretty great. Um, 
pick them up, read them. Again, it's not really something you could read in front of your grandmother, uh, <laughs> but it's it's a good read. It's tongue in cheek. I I'm not a big horror movie fan, but I love it when anything is very genre aware and very self aware, and Hack Slash is very self aware. Nice. I'll raise you Hackslash, and I'll see you with uh, Saga is extremely okay. good. If you, if you haven't read Saga, uh, that, that's put out by Image. And the other one is Paper Girls. It's got a really interesting yes. art style, and it's like time-traveling and kick-ass, and there's some great stuff in Paper Girls. Paper Girls is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so the last category I had was one-offs, and I, I feel like this is kind of the the unsung hero of indie comics, right? Things that are just single books or one or two books, maybe um, that they just end. You know, it's like a it's like a novel, right? Like you would grab a novel off the shelf, and all too often in comics we kind of look for those those big name, long running series and. Sometimes you just want something that you can consume, put back on the shelf, and be like, ah, that was good. Uh, so the first one I have is a book called Feathers by George Corona and Jen Hickman. Uh, it's published by Archaea Comics, a uh, pretty, pretty small shop. And uh, Feathers is great. It's like, uh, it, it, I mean, it's, it's fantastical, and it's set in like an alternate, like, 1800s London with like street urchins and there's this little kid that was born covered in feathers and you know he's all about protecting street urchins and it's it's his unlikely friendship with a rich girl from uptown and uh, so it's very cute uh, and uh, it ends in one book it's very easy to read um, a good one to share with the kids uh, the second one I have is The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang uh, it's published by First Second Comics, uh, and it's a twist on uh, the Prince and the Pauper, and it's all about a prince who you know wants to live his authentic self as as a princess, and he meets a dressmaker who helps him kind of live out uh, uh, his fantasy, and it, it's just it, I it's just a really beautiful friendship, and it's a really pretty comic. Uh, and uh, shameless plug, if you're uh, a fan of podcasts and you like First Second, uh, the Adventure Zone graphic novels are all published through First Second, so those are great. Um, and the last one I have, and the last indie comic series I am going to list at all today, is called I Hate Fairyland. But you, you don't, though. Have you ever seen I Hate Fairyland? can't say I have. Uh, so I Hate Fairyland is done by my favorite comic artist of all time, Scotty Young. Um, I Hate Fairyland is put out by Image. So ironically, uh, it, you know, Mark just mentioned it. Uh, and Scotty Young, uh, my the bulk of my actual, like, issue, comic issue collection are... Uh, Marvel variants that are done by Scotty Young just because he's got this particular art style that I really like. And I Hate Fairyland is uh, a, a a Scotty Young IP. He's the writer and the artist for it. And the concept is that a little girl gets to go to Fairyland. Uh, and it's like, you know, a generic, you know, Munchkin Land or Oz or, I mean, that's the same thing, but uh, you know, the, going through the looking glass, whatever, whatever child's book of a kid, you know, Narnia. And she has to achieve a goal and learn life lessons before she can go home. And it starts off really cute and bubbly. And then poor Gert, who is the main character, she starts out with this a wonderfully peppy fairy who is guiding her through Fairyland. Uh, and I Hate Fairyland posits, what if the protagonist failed in their quest and couldn't ever leave Fairyland? And so it fast-forwards time, and Gert isn't physically aging, but it's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and she just can't do it. She's getting more and more depressed and cynical, her fairy starts smoking cigars and getting super bitter. 
And hey, I can relate to that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, realizing that the quest is impossible, she decides to murder her way out of fairyland. So she grabs a double-sided axe and a hammer and just starts slaughtering fairy tale creatures. It takes I'm okay with this. It takes a hard left turn. It is super bloody and wonderful. Uh, I didn't anticipate loving it as much as I did, but oh my, I, I was giggling with every new like blood spurt on the page. It, it's hilarious. It turns the entire genre on its head. Um, and if you decide to collect the issues for I Hate Fairyland, I think there's only like, I think there's only like 15 or 16 issues total. But he did explicit covers uh, that were more visceral, that the the title of the the comic gets changed to Fuck Fairyland. <laughs> so Those have got to be worth a pretty penny on uh, the secondary market. Yeah, I have a few of them, and I, I won't get rid of my I Hate Fairyland collection because it's great. Uh, but you can also get it in two uh, really great hardcover collections. It's just two books. So uh, I Hate Fairyland is one of my favorite indie comics of all times. I, I will always signal boost Scotty Young. He is amazing. Everything he touches is gold. So uh, check him out. I, I didn't mention any of his Marvel stuff because he's done a bunch of Marvel series and he, he does variant covers for Marvel. But he has a ton of other stuff too. Um, I just picked up uh, the first the first trade of a series he's doing with Marvel now called called Strange Academy, and it's like X Men but for for magic users in the Marvel universe. So, good times. He's great. He he does some off the wall concepts. Well, that's pretty good, and that's a decent segue since we're talking about utter insanity into my only one off recommendation. And it's technically a three-off. Oh. And yes, technically this is owned by DC now, but it was indie when it released. It was acquired by DC. And that's Red. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, a series of three that was released uh, originally in uh, 2003. Of course, most people are probably familiar with the two movies with Bruce Willis. Yeah. Uh Read the the comics, which actually could be a one-off since it was only three issues. Most of the time, when you see it, it's just a trade. It's yeah, just it's, bound it, as one. Yeah, I own the trade too. Um, it's really good, but it's really different from the movie. Yeah, imagine uh. the movies with none of the comedy and the the just straight up viscera turned up to eleven. Yes. Uh, although interestingly enough. Probably the main reason that the movie was movies were successful besides the casting was the fact that even though by the time the movies came out in 2010, DC did own them, but Warner Brothers refused to participate in the movies. (laughs) (laughs) They actually optioned the film rights away. So that might be why the movies were good. Just just a hunch. Um, But yeah, basically take all the comedy out, take uh, the the viscera and the blood up to 11 and Moses is really a lot less of an anti-hero and really more of a villain. Yeah. Um, basically, you know, it, it plays with the idea of, you know, what you become in the dark when you hunt monsters for so long and yada, yada, yada. Uh, it's, it's really good. Uh, if you're a fan of the movie, definitely pick it up, but just go in knowing that it's, you're not going to be in Kansas anymore, Toto. Yeah, no. Well, I think we have done a surprising amount of justice for indie comics. Yeah. That, that was more balanced than I thought it was going to be. Because, you know, we, we, we do lean pretty heavy to the DC side, if we're being brutally honest here. It's true. So once again, I want to thank you all for listening, for, uh, you know, downloading us wherever you do. I see on our stats, you know, because we know everything. We're like Zuckerberg. <laughs> uh a few of you are downloading us on your Roku or Roku, however the hell you say that. <laughs> you're, you're listening to us on your TV. That's pretty cool. Who do? Let me know. Let us know how you do that because I don't exactly know how that's done, and I'd like to plug that because I know a lot of people that have some of those crazy contraptions. 
so we are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We have a Gmail account. Everything is the Wit and Whiskey Cast. Uh, no H in whiskey. There are no H in wit. I'm sorry. There is an E in whiskey. <laughs> someday you'll actually, get that on the first try. Someday I'll get that on the first try. No, I was actually thinking there was a great debate on Twitter, which, you know, that's like just arguing into the void anyway. But there actually was a great debate on Twitter on Saturday night for some reason about whether it should have an E or not have an E in whiskey. And there was just pages and pages of threads of people just wishing ungodly harm on one another because some people put the E in and some people don't. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I um, we are from that argument. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to, we're not even going to go there. But we, we use an E, so for good or for bad. Yeah. Uh, we're on nearly two dozen different podcast platforms that we're aware of. The, the full listing is on our Facebook page. So if you know of one that uh, we missed that you listened to, please let us know and we will add it to the list. Uh, big shout out, as always, to Nuno Henry Silva for the intro and the outro music, which is just still fantastic. We love they you, just buddy. like fine wine or good scotch. Yeah. Uh, and next week, I think we're going to have another guest, aren't we, DJ? I think so, yeah. Uh, I So we we talked to him briefly in our trailers before season two, and uh, I, I don't want to announce what the topic is just yet, um, but we're going to have uh, Brian Iwert on to talk about some interesting stuff next week and, and kind of walk us through one of his passions. And now he is not a teetotaler. He is not. He's going to be uh, reviewing some sort of libation with us, most likely of our favorite brown liquor. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So there you have it. Tune in for that. It's going to be a three-person roundtable again next week. And so until then, I'm Mark Rossetti Jr. I'm DJ Gagnon. Salud. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>